Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about a disappointing end to the season for the Syracuse men's and women's lacrosse teams. I'm Wes Chang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman, and our guest today is SNY's Eamon McEnany. Eamon, how are you today? I'm doing great. Looking forward to talking to lacrosse. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, and Eamon, we'll get you started on this one. Virginia beat Maryland 17-16 to repeat as national champions. That game had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Where do you rank this game in the all-time best championship games? Um, you know, i got to put it like three or four. I think uh, I think the standard bearer will always be 89 Syracuse Hopkins in the College Park uh, game, that come, one goal game that comes down to a shot at the buzzer. Uh, you know, anytime you're talking about a game that has the Gates and Dave Petromala and other Hall of Famers on the field, that's going to be tough to beat. Uh, I was there as a youngster, 20 years old, and, uh, you know, lived up to the hype because it was a rematch game. And uh, at the time, the two greatest programs, I mean, probably still the two greatest programs in the history of the sport. Um, so that's always the standard bearer. I'm biased to the 2016 Carolina-Maryland overtime game because I called it, but also because it was overtime and uh, the, the craziness it had. Uh, at the end, uh, with Maryland getting an extra man opportunity, uh, you know, obviously there's some great Princeton championships under Bill Tierney that, that were won in overtime. But I think this game's right there, uh, coming, uh, you know, came down to a, a save in the final seconds. Um, so, and, and as you mentioned, it had it on the edge of the seat the whole game because it was a great back and forth affair. Um, so it's there. I, I would have to put it in the top five, but I would go maybe three or four. Still pretty good if you're ranking it in your top three or four of all time. And championship game aside, this was a pretty crazy year playing through a pandemic. They were able to pull it off. What were your overall thoughts on the 2021 season? Uh, no, absolutely. The fact that they were able to pull it off. And you didn't have a whole lot of games being canceled like you did in uh, basketball and, uh, you know, football. I mean, obviously, I think we learned more about, I don't want to say learn more about the pandemic in the spring, but uh and also, it was a weird season because so many great out-of-conference games that we've become accustomed to uh, weren't played. And because the ACC 
beating up on each other uh, with the Big Ten sort of, I mean, I'm going to get people mad at me, having a down year, uh, tough to judge. <laughs> because, Well, I mean, look, you look at their records, and those, you know, Penn State and Ohio State are teams that have been in the Final Four and playing for championships recently, uh, and now they have a losing record. I mean, obviously, Rutgers elevated, so I'm not saying it was Maryland and everybody else, but it was just tough to get a gauge. So here we were watching the ACC, who came in, you know, probably everyone ranked in the top 12, beating up on each other. Um, you know, we all just sort of overrated them because that's all who we saw them play was each other. But they really were a class above the rest. I mean, you could have said the NCAA tournament could just be the uh, ACC in Maryland and everyone would have been fine. Uh, and that's certainly, you know, how it played out, albeit Loyola and Rutgers giving Carolina and Duke unbelievable games in the quarterfinals. But, uh, you know, to your point, it was incredible the way they got through the season during a pandemic. And I, I thought the ACC Thursday night games, uh, as a fan, made it all worth it because to watch those programs with that talent just go toe-to-toe on a weekly basis was pretty amazing. We obviously just finished the 2021 season, but let's talk a little 2022. Do you have any early favorite teams for next year? I mean, I think the the two you just saw, the last two teams standing, uh, you know, as much as there is parity across lacrosse, I, I still think we're looking at uh, the old boys, you know, the uh, Blue Bloods. I think Maryland and Virginia aren't going anywhere. Uh, you know, Duke, I think I know they lose Michael Sowers and they lose a lot of seniors, but they still, you know, Brendan O'Neill uh, is just going to get better and better. So they're always going to be in the mix. Uh, you know, it be interesting to see how these teams who really benefited from the transfer portal, how they replace, you know, the graduate transfers that they had and how that continues to play out and how the Ivy League bounces back. It's really tough to look ahead to 2022 when you have nothing from the Ivy League in 2021 to base you know, how they're going to be and, you know, what they have coming back because you didn't see them. I mean, obviously in 2020, before the season got shut down, you know, the Ivy League was probably the best conference or at least the most top-heavy conference uh, in the country. Now they're kind of – they've been invisible, so you have no idea how good they're going to be. I mean, obviously Andy Shea is running a great program uh, at Yale, so, and you know, so you know they're going to be back. Um, Princeton was playing great, but, you know, obviously that was led by Michael Sowers, so you have no idea what the Tigers are going to be like. So I think there's going to be a lot of question marks, but still, the big boys, it's a cliche and you hate it, but they don't rebuild, they reload. So Maryland, Virginia, Duke, Carolina will all be in the mix again uh, in heavy favorites next year. And let's talk Syracuse because they're still considered a blue blood, but they really had a disappointing season. They were 5-0 and and number one before the pandemic. They returned mostly the same team, and they were 7-5, and limped into the postseason, and got blasted by Georgetown in the first round. What happened to them? Yeah, a very tough team to predict. I mean, I thought, you know, obviously there were issues off the field. Uh, I haven't researched enough. Um, you know, to know all those things about it, but obviously a situation that should never occur. Um, you know, I thought the seniors and the players and the coaching staff uh, handled it properly, but still you can't tell me that wasn't a distraction. Um, now, again, they had slipped already. You know, again, I don't really know when that starts affecting the team. You're going to have to ask, you know, someone on the team. But uh, I thought they had kind of rallied around each other when they took care of Virginia the second time. I mean, that's the amazing thing. We're talking about a disappointing year for Syracuse, and clearly it was. And they took care of the national champions twice, not just one fluke win, two. Um, so I thought they had kind of rallied around each other and were ready to make a run when they beat Virginia the second time. And then they just got thumped by Notre Dame and, as you said, limped into the uh, uh, postseason. Um, so, I, you know, defensively, it, they weren't on the uh, up and up. They weren't, you know, they didn't have their eyes dotted and T's crossed. So I think that was a major problem. But, 
you know, Leland Rogers didn't forget how to coach defense. So I think Syracuse uh, will be back. They got some big time recruits uh, on their way, but definitely a, a tough team to figure out this year with such a great coaching staff and uh, you know, the talent they had coming back, it, it had to be a tough chemistry. That had to be the uh, only explanation because they looked really good. Even after losing the army at the beginning of the year, they looked really good against Virginia. And then, you know, just a couple, and even when they went down to Duke, and lost the close game. You know, you figured they were going to be in the mix. But a couple of just blowout losses to Notre Dame and then obviously just barely showing up for that Georgetown game. And, Eamon, we'll get you out of here on this one. John Desco has been with Syracuse for 24 years now and has led the Orange to five national championships. But it used to be death taxes in Syracuse lacrosse and championship weekend. Syracuse hasn't been there since 2013. Do you think he should be associated with any kind of hot seat, or does he deserve to ride out into the sunset on his own terms? I mean, I'm going to have a hard time calling, telling a guy with that many championship rings he's done. Uh, you know, again, Syracuse is one of the two programs I find in college lacrosse where people truly care, right, where you're going to have a hot seat. I mean, if Johns Hopkins can part ways with Dave Petromala, you know, I can see where the Syracuse fans, you know, can say, why not us? I would not tell John Desco his time is done. Uh, you know, I would let John Desco uh, ride out. I think he's earned that. I think he's still a great coach. I think there's still a great staff. Uh, you know, they got the best player in the country uh, coming, so obviously he can still recruit, and it's still a marquee program. I can't imagine at this point anyone else coaching that program. Uh, you know, I know on the chat rooms everyone talks about Gary Gates sliding from the women to the men. I mean, certainly if they want to make that transition and keep it in the family, that would, you know, make some form of sense. Uh, but I, I think if I'm John Wildhack, the athletic director at Syracuse, I'm letting two guys decide when they want to step away, Jim Beheim and John Desco. Uh, I understand, as you mentioned, death taxes and Syracuse lacrosse in the final four. You know, it's not that way anymore. You know, it's just, it's a different sport and it's a different world. Kids want to go all over the place. You know, when they were going to the final four every year, Notre Dame wasn't good. Uh, Duke wasn't as good as they are now. Uh, you know, the ACC conferences weren't that big a deal. I mean, Syracuse probably wasn't even in a conference uh, for lacrosse. The Big East uh, was relatively new, and they were only in it for a little while. So the whole playing field has changed. So those kids that would automatically think Hopkins or Cuse are now looking at the whole country and thinking about going somewhere else now because lacrosse is just as big a deal, you could argue, uh, you know, at Notre Dame. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that, obviously, because it's not. But Notre Dame's on TV just as much as Syracuse right now, right? So Notre Dame goes, you know, and I, I hate to use that because it's my alma mater, but you know what I'm saying. There are other teams now where you can go, other schools where you can go, play great lacrosse and be on TV and, you know, experience, have a great college experience. That wasn't the case, you know, when Syracuse and Hopkins were dominating and going to the Final Four every year. There were only a few schools uh, that cared. So you, you're going to have to adjust and, uh, you know, win a little bit differently. Eamon, thank you again for coming on the program. Again, our great friend Eamon McEnany from SNY doing a great job of breaking down the entire lacrosse world. Eamon, thank you so much for your time, and we'll speak with you soon. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Have a great summer. Always love speaking with Eamon, and I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I am doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, a disappointing end to the Syracuse women's lacrosse season over the weekend. They lost 16-10 to to ACC rival Boston College in the title game. Gary Gate once again denied an NCAA championship as a coach, but it was still a great season overall, even if it didn't end quite how they wanted it to. Yes, it was, Wes. The uh, 
Syracuse women's team coming uh, a game short of winning the first championship in program history. And it, it was a disappointing end to how that finished. Certainly, it was great to see Syracuse advance to the championship game under Gary Gate. I think that was sort of unexpected, even though the team was the number three seed in the women's tournament. But it was a bad matchup against Boston College in the championship game. Syracuse had a very unique style of play this season, and it really showed in the semifinal win over Northwestern. That wasn't a team that was used to Syracuse's methodical offensive play and its own defense, and Syracuse winning that game by eight goals. But then it ran into an old rival in the championship game, Boston College, a team that it had played three previous times during the season. One was a Boston College win, two for Syracuse, and it was a bad matchup, especially in the second half. Boston College had lost the last three championship games, and despite leading by just one goal going into the second half, you could really tell that BC came out fired up. They weren't going to lose a fourth consecutive championship game and had great talent to pull away from Syracuse in the second half. What was really surprising to me about both the women's uh, championship game and the Syracuse men's first-round playoff exit on the men's tournament side was the lack of discipline by both teams in the second half. That really surprised me, Wes, because I've always said that team discipline is on the head coaches, whether that's in lacrosse or in football with penalties. And we know that the Syracuse football team has had problems with penalties the last couple of seasons, and I've mentioned that, again, that goes to the head coach, Dino Babers, and for lacrosse, first with the men in the first round loss to Georgetown, sure, Syracuse had fallen behind and was trailing by eight and nine goals, eventually losing by 10. But it was a lack of discipline in the second half that prevented any chance for a comeback in that game. And same for the women. As they started to fall behind against Boston College in the championship game, there were some untimely yellow cards, penalties in the women's sport. And that really hurt Syracuse for any chance at coming back. So those were two elements that really surprised me uh, with longtime head coaches, John Desco and Gary Gate, that both of those teams would lose a little bit of focus and lose a little bit of discipline in falling in their final games of the season. Brad, Gary Gate is one of the top women's lacrosse coaches in the NCAA. His job is secure. Let's talk about John Desco now. I spoke about this with Eamon. But he's been the head coach of Syracuse for 24 years now, and there's more years behind than ahead. I don't see Syracuse ever firing him, but the results for the men's lacrosse team have been disappointing over the last eight years since their last Final Four and 12 years since their last national championship. It's certainly been disappointing when you talk about a program of the caliber of Syracuse men's lacrosse not making the championship weekend since 2013 not winning an NCAA tournament game since 2017. I kind of look at it like this. The four previous head coaches of Syracuse men's lacrosse, all Hall of Famers, each averaged 26 years of their tenure. So that's Laurie Cox, Roy Simmons Sr., and Roy Simmons Jr. Next year for John Desco marks his 24th season. So one way or, the, or another, his career as the Syracuse head coach obviously is winding down. Syracuse is not the type of program where they're going to fire head coaches for losing, especially when they win the majority of their games. It's just not going to happen. 
and John Zesko's career uh, with five national championships and what he has done for the program since replacing Roy Simmons Jr. in 1999 means he's earned enough uh, equity and tenure that he pretty much is going to, you know, work with the administration and figuring out how long his tenure is going to be and what direction the program is going to go after he retires. And uh, just like with the basketball program, I think eventually you'll see that the Syracuse coaching job stays in the family one way or another when John Desco eventually does retire. On the women's side, Gary Gage has finished his 14th season, and they're going to be playing back in the contention for a national championship next year. He's that good of a coach. He's uh, installed such a great winning tradition in the program during those 14 years. He's got some re- great recruits coming in for next season as well. So uh, there's certainly a lot of stability there and reason to remain optimistic that the Syracuse women's team will be competing for a national championship as soon as next season. And Brad, we're right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. I was alluding to the continuity for the men's basketball program. And with the news this week that Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski will be stepping down after the 2021-22 season, where did I go thinking first off? Of course, to Syracuse's Jim Beheim, who once Coach K steps down, will take over the mantle as the longest tenured uh, coach uh, for any school in Division One. Of course, Coach K had a couple of seasons at Army before he went to Duke. And then I look at the win total. You know, it was about 26 years ago. I remember Wes sitting with Jim Beheim at a Big East preseason media day, and he was marveling at that time, circa 1995-96, that Adolph Rupp was the leading all-time coach with victories in Division I back then at 876. And that was nearing the end of Dean Smith's career at North Carolina, and he eventually surpassed Adolph Rupp. Well, now as we sit here, that Coach K has announced that he's retiring with 1,170 victories, and Jim Beheim right behind him at 1,083, when you include the 101 wins that the NCA took away, that's only an 87-win difference. Now, Coach K is going to win a bunch of games in his final season. He's got a great team, some talented recruits. Jim Beheim's averaged 24 wins in his 45 seasons. So let's say that he's right at that average next season as well. Well, he'll remain right there about 87 or 90 victories for an even number behind Coach K. And I'm suspecting that Jim Beheim will be the Syracuse coach for the last two seasons of his son Buddy's eligibility, if indeed he does decide to come back for that extra year. So just an amazing fact when you think that Coach K, the all-time leader and wins, Jim Beheim right behind him, and Jim Beheim will take over as the most senior head coach in Division One once Coach K hangs it up after the 2022 season. And Brad, my closing thoughts are on former Syracuse superstars Marvin Harrison and Dwight Freeney, who earlier in the week were named to the 2022 College Football Hall of Fame ballot. It's Harrison's fourth time on the ballot and the second straight year for Freeney. The Orange currently boasts 18 College Football Hall of Fame members. That's second most among ACC schools. Selections will be announced in early 2022, and if they're selected, they will be enshrined on December 6, 2022. Best of luck to both of them. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that I wonder how they deal with mice at Disney World. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time.
This has been the Juice and the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. On Instacart, I can shop a huge selection of pet supplies from that one brush that scratches him just right to that extra comfy bed he can't wait to flop down in. And I get everything delivered right to my door in as fast as one hour. Okay, 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 settle down. I know it's here. Yeah, it's very exciting. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get a free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart.